Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST 211, the Zoog's Rift Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans LP. It's been a while since we've had some Zoogs on the show. Too long. And yet, it's been too, too long. long. Yeah, and yet again, we've made all the necessary changes, and Brant has assured me that he is looser than clams, so we can get into another Zoogs episode, and I'm totally, totally looking forward to it. I'm not looser than clams. Oh, well, that's not, that's not what I read in the memo. <laughs> the datagram. I, I, read, I read that you were fully looser than clams, but uh, well, you'll have to correct me when we get into it here. First, Brant, why don't you get us with some spiels? Okay. I'm going to hit you with a few that I made note of a while ago that I just Never got to. Mm, the spiel log. Yeah, these are just random records, basically. Okay. Bit of a spiel log, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so this one is kind of a follow-up, I guess. Uh, the band's called Miracle Room. Self-titled album, 1987. We heard this band, or I heard them, I guess. I mentioned them because they are on one of the Live at the Knitting Factory yeah, compilations, right. volume yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they grabbed me, so I did some digging around. There's actually a story about that show uh, on their website. Uh, so they had toured from Austin, which is where they're from, to New York, played a show with Blind Idiot God and uh, at the Knitting Factory. And Jerry Leibowitz, a former manager at the Knitting Factory, ended up uh, managing the band. A and they wound up touring Europe in 1990 on the first Knitting Factory tour, opening for the Sonny Chirac Band. They released a four-song EP on Bar None and Restless Records, kind of a oh, co-release, yeah. I guess. Yep. Uh, there's a Bandcamp up, actually, where you can buy an extended version of that EP, uh, and it's really awesome. Like a really percussive and experimental killing joke, maybe. Like they used sheet metal, propane tanks, crates, mm. uh, various items like that for percussion, Steve Marsh, the guitarist, was in first wave Austin punk band Terminal Mind. Check them out. Just like a killer band. Hooks for days. One single in 1979, but you can get a comp uh, from a few years ago uh, with a set from Raul's tacked on. Uh, the drummer in Miracle Room, Rock Savage, went on to... Do you know, Ryan? I don't. Bark I don't. Market. Maybe, oh, no way. Maybe he's not known as Rock Savage in Bark Market. With Dave Sardi. Maybe. Uh, another percussion, Richard Smith, was in this insane trance syndicate band called Crust. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. So check that out, Ryan. It's up on Bandcamp. Miracle Room. Okay, and then here's one for you, Ryan, if you don't know this record. Lake of Dracula. Do you know that oh, band? Oh, yeah. Of course. Of yeah. course. Got them all. Self-titled is the one I checked out, 1997, uh, on Skin Graft. Members of Snail Boy, U.S. Maple... Uh, Scissor Sisters, so I'm, I'm not surprised that you know about this. Uh, Michigan noise rock band Couch. Mm -hmm. Weasel Walter of Scarcity of Tanks is in this band. Oh, I didn't know that connection. Cool. Yeah. Give me six degrees of Ginnovation Weasel Walter. Go. What? Six degrees of Ginnovation Weasel Walter. Go. Scarcity of Tanks? With like you're going Weasel Walter from from Scarcity of Tanks six degrees yeah go 
Mike Watt, Greg Ginn, boom. (laughs) (laughs) How does Mike Watt connect to Greg Ginn? He's on Scarcity of Tanks. No, no, he has to have played with Greg Ginn. It can't just be a band that was on SST. Oh, you're telling me Mike Watt didn't play with Greg Ginn? Yeah, in what? What about Minute Flag, bro? Ring-a-ding-ding. Okay. Okay. (laughs) That's what it takes? (laughs) Oh, come on. You can't just go Mike Watt, Greg Ginn, boom. <laughs> 211 episodes and we're not we're not compromising. All right. Weasel Walter also played with Henry Kaiser in projects too, so you can get there that way. Okay. I, I my way was a little bit more circuitous. It was. I went uh Weasel Walter, <laughs> Lydia Lunch. What oh, jeez. Bob Burt played with Lydia Lunch. Yes. Thurston Moore played with Bob Burt. Correct. Mike Watt played with Thurston. Yes. In Chicone Youth. And then Mike Watt was in Minute Flag. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't expect to get my comeuppance, but <laughs> but so I did. Well, when you least expect it, expect yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Here's, uh, I guess, a couple on the tree. Bill the Welder? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Self-titled CD, 1999, owned yep. and operated. That is the label that was ran by Stephen Edgerton, Bill Stevenson, Carl Alvarez, and Chad Price, along with Joe Carducci and Joe Young, who uh, was in you know the record business forever. He had a stint at CZ Records. Uh, they ran this from about 1997 to 2002. We mentioned this album recently. This was the band formed by Descendants roadie Daniel Bug Snow. Yeah. So I tracked down the album, uh, did some digging into who all played on it. I kind of just maybe assumed it was the all guys. They are not on it. Uh, Abe Brennan of My Name and Wretch Like Me, uh, who also have stuff on Owned and Operated, is on guitar. Mm -hmm. Jeff Matz on bass, also of Wretch Like Me, and has been the bassist in High on Fire since like 2005. Oh, okay. Various other musicians, Bug on guitar and vocals. Uh, it was, of course, recorded at the Blasting Room by Jason Livermore, plus Bill and Stefan. It's cool, eclectic. Some of it is kind of goofy. Uh, the playing is great. There's a few co-writes with Carl and Scott Reynolds. It's worth checking out for sure. Okay, and then I got Chris Haskett's new album off his Bandcamp. It's digital only, but... Um, it's called Chris Haskett's Four-Person Trio, live at ACU, April 6, 2018. It's a really great live recording. I have always been a huge fan of Chris's playing. I think he's totally underrated like as a guitar player mm-hmm. and should get way more recognition than he does from you know like mainstream guitar magazines and other guitar-centric types of media. Like You see a lot of, or I do in my feed because the algorithm sends me this stuff but like videos of guitar (laughs) players like doing a rig rundown or uh playing their favorite riffs and a lot of these are sponsored by guitar companies like gibson and things like that right yeah yeah or reverb.com or something like that yeah and you never see chris haskett do these things and it's it's too bad Mm. i mean maybe he just doesn't want to i don't know it's jazzy rocking and kind of all points in between it's almost like joe satriani-esque at times And I mean that in the sense that the songs are very melodic. Mm. Like, you know, that's what Joe Satriani does. Yeah, he can shred his ass off, but he tries to write 
you know, guitar-based songs with hooks in them. Yeah. And that's what these are like. It's not just mindless shredding, you know? Uh, and then he says before the last song, you know, he goes, people are always asking why I never play any Rollins stuff. So he goes, I finally thought of one uh, uh, that I'm going to play. And then they just rip into Sonny Rollins' classic East, <laughs> East Broadway rundown. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. So there you go. Check that out. It's really good. Cool. What do you have? Oh, hey, well, before I move on, mm-hmm. I'm noticing behind your shoulder there, you've got a TSOL record, and I don't recognize that cover. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's been a while. Which one is that one? It's Live 91. It's the reunion one with the original lineup, including Todd Barnes before he passed away. Oh, uh, okay. I haven't, seen, yeah. I haven't seen that one. It's is it? Does it sound decent? Uh, I Yeah, yeah. I believe when it first came out, they didn't own the name TSOL, so they released this under their last names. Because oh, maybe that's where I know it from. Yeah. I I don't recognize that album cover. I mean, I don't I don't know TSOL as well as you. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of those few people that actually like the Revenge and Hit and Run albums. So oh, I, well, maybe not Hit and Run, but Revenge is good. Uh, but yeah, this is like live at Raji's. Uh, I'm gonna. Sit. I don't see a date, but I'm going to say early nineties, hmm. kind of the yeah, you, first time they reformed. You're more of a Grisham guy than a Joe Wood guy though, right? Uh, yeah, but I like some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I, for sure, you know, I like, uh, Beneath the Shadows and, and yeah, well, Dance what's, with me and, what's not to like, right? Yeah, 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 man. Like, dude, I watched that Tony Hawk documentary today. And Sounds of Laughter by TSOL is on there, and it just got me. I made me want to go skate. Is what right? I want. Yeah, it's a good doc, right? Yeah, yeah, I love. You it. know, you know who who needs a documentary though now? Who? Yes, come on, Matt. Who do you think I think needs a documentary after watching that one? Like from skaters? Yeah, probably yeah, yeah, Lance yeah. Mountain. Oh well, that'd be good. I would, I would be so into a Rodney Mullen doc. Yeah. Oh yeah, I just. Like I said, he's a shaman. Yeah. I think there is kind of something. like There's uh, something on YouTube. There's yeah. something on YouTube. It's like a half an hour thing of Bob or whatever, but it's not quite like this this production quality. But yeah, well, it makes seen, me want... You've seen The Bones Brigade. For sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those are those are essential, yeah. pretty much. And the soundtracks are killer. Yeah, so. man. All right. Well, I only have one on the SS tree for you, okay? That's it? You're, the entirety of your spiel is one on the tree? Correct. Okay. But it's a good one. Okay. It's a big one. It's a folk implosion update. Mm, mm-hmm. Have, have you seen, seen? I have, you seen? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So after two decades, Lou Barlow and John Davis return with Feel It If You Feel It, an EP. Uh, this is the first folk implosion in 20 years. Don't forget... Of course, they've got that amazing run of records from 93 to 99. Take a look inside. Dare to be surprised. One part lullaby. And also don't forget, I entered the Exclaim Magazine Readers Contest and I got signed seven inches. One from Lou Barlow and one from John Davis. Hmm. Sent to me in the mail. You won the contest? I won the contest, man. I got autographed full complosion singles. Hmm. Cool, hey? Yeah. Now, little controversial, of course. There's also the the album The New Folk Implosion without John Davis, which is also good, by the way. And don't forget, of course, the deluxe 
folk implosion, which had a, a 12 inch and a seven inch. And that's deluxe D E L U X X because Bob and Mark from deluxe are in that combo, but amazing to get some new folk implosion. One of those things where you kind of thought, you know, this is never going to happen again, especially after Lou, uh, ramped up Sebado again, but, uh, and dinosaur and dinosaur, of course. Right. Yeah. Press release says that it celebrates the band's return to active status. I don't know if that means they're going to play shows, but that'd be really cool if they did. It's self-released through John's inundation Records, so you can get it on the band camp. There are 300 copies of the 12-inch that you can get, already sold out. There are, and they're with hand-drawn jackets, kind of like I'm, I'm assuming Lou Barlow did for the Joyful Noise artist enablement club a hundred cassettes and then seems like there's no limit on the cds the 12 inch records though already sold out if i didn't say that already they're expected to ship in november why brant adele's vinyl needs adele's vinyl needs did you get one of those did you score a 12 inch oh yeah man (laughs) you know i have to get a full complosion 12 inch that's a done deal and the cd and the cassette no, no, just the just 12 the twelve inch. inch, and you're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. Be, I'm not going to be excessive. I need a physical. Yep. And if I if I had to choose, I'll go with the twelve inch. You know. Okay. But uh, super pumped. Haven't heard it. Not going to hear it until November. Right on. Can't wait to hear it though. And uh, man, oh man, if Folk Implosion are going to play some dates, that will be very tempting. Mm-hmm. But that's all I got, man. One on the SS tree. Okay. Ready to get loose. Yeah, man. <laughs> History lesson, part one. <laughs> so wait a second. You are or are not? I am looser, not looser looser. than clams. Okay. Do you have clams in a glass? You mean the book? Yeah, I'm looking at it right here. No, 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 no. Like clams in a glass. No. No? Okay. <clears throat> I have water in a glass. Oh, I'm going to take a man. drink of it right now, actually. Jeez. Hawk that loogie up. <laughs> While you do that... I'm going to run down, though, the previous episodes that we've had Zoogs on. Ready? please do. Who can forget all of the amazing Zoogs episodes that we've had? We had episode 77, our intro, The Island of Living Puke LP with Craig Unkrich, Mr. California. Then we had SST 88, Looser Than Clams, SST 99, Water with E. Bentley O'Brien on the show. These are all amazing interviews, by the way. I'm going to list all the people, but man, every interview is just killer. 120. Don't forget, we had four weeks of Zoogs in a row, starting with 120 with Ipecac, where we had Mark Mylar, and we had Mark on again for SST 121, the Interim Resurgence album. Then we had 122, Amputees in Limbo, and 123, Idiots on the Miniature Golf Course with John Truby. We had a bit of a break there. From some Zoogs, we went to 137, Water 2, at a safe distance with Craig Unkrich again. 174, that's our biggest stretch, I think. We had Son of Puke, and we had Laura Rift on there. That's the cassette-only Zoogs mm. Rift release. Yep. Um, do you remember the name of the band on the B-side, Brent? Mm, I just read it in Jim Rulin's book, but I can't remember. Oh, dude. I have okay, the well. worst memory for stuff like that. <laughs> The somethings. I know it's the something. The secretions or something. Oh, man. Let's thank goodness we had Laura on that episode. Do you know? 
No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember. I'll remember, though, while you're talking about it. Uh, and then 184, the non-entity with Willie Lappin. And non-entity is subtitled. Uh, Water 3, Fan Black Data. Fan Black Data. That's right. Dog. So that is, that's 10 Zoogs releases. This is number 11, man. Whoa. Yeah. One more to go. Yeah. The last one. I was looking on my shelf, like, uh, part of this record, of course, is recorded in Europe the, from the 88 tour. I've got the, <laughs> I've got the live 1990 European tour LP yep. and it's, it's insane. It's insane. Oh. This is pretty, this is a pretty tame record compared to that 1991. <laughs> yeah. I listened to it this week. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ryan. Well, uh, as you mentioned, this is half live, half studio. The first side is called live in Holland. And the second side is called Dead in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. uh, we last saw Zoogs, as you mentioned, on episode 184, Non-Entity. Uh, that was recorded in March of 1988. Now, according to Zoogs' autobiography, Clams in a Glass, there was a booking agent in Holland whose girlfriend was a big Zoogs fan, and she talked him into calling SST to make arrangements for the band to come to Europe and play in Holland, Germany, Austria, and Denmark. If you go back to our interview with Willie Lappin on 184, we touch a bit on this tour. Uh, he tells some hilarious stories about the tour and also about how well received the band was over there. They p played several dates as part of a festival of the avant-garde with, yeah. with kind of rotating lineups around Holland. The tour was a big success and I'm sure put some wind in Zoogs' sails. While in Holland, one of the shows was recorded and signed one, side one of this album is taken from that show. As the album's extensive liner notes, of course, <laughs> say, <Yeah. laughs> uh, Side A recorded Saturday night, May 14th, 1988, live on stage at De FNR in Eindhoven, Netherlands. Recording engineer in charge of digital and 16-track remote recordings, Theo van Inbergen. Einbergen? I don't know. Of Tango Studio, Eindhoven. Theo van Einbergen was a member of an experimental new wave band from the Netherlands called Nasmac in the late 70s and early 80s. Coincidentally, Trust de Groot was also in that band. She would eventually move to New York and play in a bunch of different bands with people like Jim Sclavunas and Lee Ronaldo. Theo, around this time uh, that this was recorded, uh, would go on to be better known as the Rock Juicer, a.k.a. the Low End Ranger, a.k.a. Tao Van Rock, front of house sound man and full-time member of the Rollins Band. Yeah. Yeah, so this album, the live side of this was recorded by Tao Van Rock. You know, I always thought it was cool that, you know, the Rollins Band considered him an equal member. And, member of the band, yeah. You know, he was in all the band photos, etc. I can't think of another band that's ever done that. Hmm. The closest I can think of is uh, Murder City Devils had Gabe, who was like their tour manager, and he was always in their photos. I can't think of anyone else like that either. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, the live side was later mixed at Track Studios in Los Angeles. The lineup uh, for the tour on side one lead vocals lead guitar and production by zoogs rift the liquid moamo 
of course, and this is from the liner notes, of course, in the name of Mutatus Mutandus Moamo Dada for Snout the Litamide Productions. Uh, Rich Haas, drummer extraordinaire, prefer- yeah. preferred crashing in the hotels as opposed to the van. Rich was always great for moral support. He was always at least as grouchy as I was throughout this trip. <laughs> and then you're it, reading. You're reading from clams in a glass. No, right? no, I'm reading from, this the, from the back. This cover. is from the liner notes. This is what. Well, there's the write up for each member. Yep. So that's where you're reading this from. Yep. Okay, got it. And then it says his best line: the last night of the tour when he yelled at Rob Burns at dinner. Don't we get anything to drink with this? Rich is very scary sometimes. Willie Lappin did a lot of the driving, which he hated. In fact, he hated me for it. He wanted to kill me. He wanted to slap me around. Before the trip, he bought some groovy, expensive camera, and while on the road, took some beautiful scenic snapshots of a whole bunch of churches, which cost him a lot of money to develop when he got home. While playing fretless bass on stage, he kept banging into the wall, hurting himself. I don't know why. Thank God trombonist Toby Holmes brought his buddy Bob Hope along to entertain us in the van. Not sure what that's a reference to. Mm -hmm. Maybe he did an impression of Bob Hope. Maybe. Bob took us safely through some dangerous moments and helped keep up company morale. It was nice watching Brooke Shields and Joey Heatherton do that weird dance number. Great for the war effort. I believe Toby got some great shots of churches also, but I haven't seen them yet. World-famous composer, prankster, and embryonic chrome superman, John Truby, ate a lot of candy bars, slept on the floor of the van, and played a lot of rhythm guitar as the reincarnated spirit of Andy Gibb. Rocky Howard is the only one who actually got laid, to my knowledge, during the three weeks we were there. The accordion player. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's taking shots for that now, and the ointments are helping to bring down the swelling. His accordion playing on stage really wooed the ladies, who, of course, were heavily intoxicated and fucked up in the first place. No wonder he's so damn pleasant all the time. Now, we won't go into the, you know, any of these guys too much. We've seen all of them on previous Sugs albums uh, and some of them on the Scott Colby record. Mm-hmm. Now, Zoogs Ryan was a prolific writer uh, and documented everything. He really ratcheted that up in 1988 when he started cranking out what he calls datagrams, the ultimate press release. <laughs> and uh, in the clams in the glass book, there are some datagrams from this era, including a tour diary of this tour. Of course. Yeah. Do you remember the name of the band from Son of Puke yet? Uh, no. The Transients. There you go, the Transients. Yeah, yeah. Stolen from where? Where did he find the yeah, tape? Found it in a dumpster. Dumpst, I think. Dumpster, yeah. Yeah. Okay, first I'm going to give you a pop quiz. This isn't a quiz for you. This is just, he, he wrote a lot of these. Um, pop quiz number three. This is a datagram. Here's number one. Zoog's Rift and his new band, Non-Entity, have been invited to perform live in Holland during the month of November because... A. In a country where the butthole surfers are considered God, Zoog's should be able to write his own ticket. B. With a name like Zoog's Rift, they probably think he's a native. C. SST will do anything to get rid of him and get him off their backs for a few weeks. D. They crack up over John Truby's prank phone calls. Other reasons why the Dutch want Zoog's 
Rift and his band to play in Europe include A. They like it when he sings Bad Out of Hell. <laughs> I'm assuming that's reference to his weight. like Looking like meatloaf. Looking like meatloaf. Uh, B. The French have told them that Zoogs is another Jerry Lewis. C. They respect his high intelligence and good taste. D. They want him to, they want him to put his finger in the dike. <laughs> and then it's signed Zoog's Rift, May 6, 1988, representing America for all Americans. Okay, so here's some stuff from the tour diary. I, I won't read it all to you, but I pulled some stuff out. Uh, so he right off the bat, he's complaining about the 13-hour flight to Amsterdam <laughs> and how shitty the on-flight movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is. What? Yeah. Uh, Friday, May 6th is when they arrived. Saturday, May 7th. Uh, by this time, everyone in the band was on each other's nerves and ready to kill each other, is what he says. But this is good. This puts the band in the right frame of mind to do some really great shows. Sunday, May, se- uh, May 8th, first stop, Hamburg, Germany. All we could find were exits that lead to some town called Asphalt, which we <laughs> stayed away from for obvious reasons. <laughs> All roads lead to Asphalt. Yeah. Uh, May 9th, in Munich, we found out we were competing directly with Frank Zappa, who was playing that night at the big arena down the street. Just what Zoog's Rift needed. Wednesday, May 11th. Today today is the 14th anniversary of the time I publicly destroyed every work of art I have ever created at the Delaware Valley Festival of the Avant-Garde in Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, Saturday, May, May 14th is the, uh, the hall in Endoven. This is the show we hired a 16-track mobile recording unit to tape for the next Zoog's Rift album, Later in the year. Lucky for me, the band played great. The show was ridiculous and entertaining. The audience enjoyed it, and I think the recording turned out good. The promoter, a guy named Rene, warned me to change the band's set for our next night's show in Amsterdam, saying that the Amsterdam crowd would never stand for it. Yeah, sure, Rene. Whatever you say, bub. Uh, He also mentions they played this show with Fred Frith, but Willie actually told us it was Skeleton Crew. Uh, which Fred was in, that they played with. May 15th is the Paradiso with the Cardiacs, Big Stick, and Killdozer, Ryan. Wow. Yeah. What a show. Uh, later on, he talks about getting interviewed for Specs magazine, which, I've, if I'm remembering right, was the big German music magazine that helped kick off, uh, you know, break Who in Germany, Ryan? I don't know. I'm, we're really quizzing each other tonight. Who broke... Specs magazine broke someone in Germany? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Universal Congress of. Oh, okay. The Jeez. Spin magazine of Germany. Wow. Okay, we're even now. No more no more quizzing. No more quizzing. Uh, there's a bunch more complaining, some major van troubles. Sunday, May 22nd, they're flying home. Uh, he says, though emotionally draining, we all agreed that we enjoyed it and immediately made plans on coming back for the next one. Which, Ryan, as you mentioned, they did exactly two years later in mm-hmm. May of 1990. Yep. Uh, full, it's a full live album containing recordings from various shows uh, called Europe 1990, released on German label Musical Tragedies. And it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another, also another one Laura released digitally a few years back called Die You Cretinous Bastards, 
which I think originally came out on cassette only. It's half from Germany in 1990, and then the other half goes back to Hollywood in 87. So Ryan, our podcast pal John Butler Kerr, who made an album with Zoogs in the late 90s called Sanitized for Your Protection, uh, and was and is a Zoogs Rift super fan and mm-hmm. archi- archivist, he sent me some stuff. And as I mentioned earlier, Zoogs planned out and documented everything. Uh, he seems to have just been endlessly typing up plans like an entire year in advance. Like there's literally typed pages saying exactly pretty much what happened this year, all yeah. typed out in advance. <laughs> so I have some of that that we'll, we'll use throughout the, the rest of this episode as well. Side two is dead in Los Angeles. So... When they got back from the tour, Rocky Howard and John Truby left the band. Rich moved over to Vibes, and Tom Brown took over on drums. Here's what Zoog says in the liners uh, about that. As Rich moves over to Vibes for side two of this epic, new drummer extraordinaire guy, Tom Brown, inherits the throne. Tom didn't make it to Europe with us, but perhaps next year, if I'm not dead by then. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile... We're using hypnosis, biofeedback, and primal therapy to teach him the material, which is paying off as most of it is covered by his comprehensive medical insurance. Uh, Tom ended up staying with Zeus for 13 years and did indeed make it to Europe. He's the drummer on uh, Europe 1990. Mm -hmm. We'll see him again on episode 251, our final Zeus episode for Torment. He's also on later era studio albums like Warzone, Villagers, School of the Criminally Insane, Born in the Wrong Universe. So I did a little digging on Tom since we haven't seen him before and he's had quite the interesting career. Tom was the drummer in 60s surf band The Illusions, uh, playing all over California, opening for the Beach Boys, Dick Dale, many more. You can hear their surf instro version of Jezebel on the Rhino Kawabunga surf box set. Cool. In the late 70s, he was a member of early punk band The Ready Maids. They mm. had uh, this kind of immortal single, Terry is a Space Cadet. He then went on to another surf band called The Wedge who had an EP and a full length on Rhino and were part of that early 80s surf revival along with bands like John and the Night Riders. I think you have the Wedge. Insect Surfers, too? Yeah, yeah. You have the Wedge. I'm pretty sure. I think I do, too. Yeah. After that, he started working at the fledgling Rhino Records in the warehouse and playing on various Rhino-related projects. I think you'll like this, Ryan. He played drums on the 1982 Acid Casualties Panic Station album with Arthur Barrow, who worked with Frank Zappa. Uh, Robbie Krieger also played on it. He also played on another album with Zappo-connected musicians, The Grandmothers Looking Up Granny's Dress. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Killer. I've seen The Grandmothers. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Well, I don't know if it was the original Grandmothers. I've seen The Grandmothers of Invention Hmm. play. Napoleon Murphy Brock... Don Preston, Roy Estrada, Miroslav Tadic on guitar, not a, a real mother, I, and I don't know who was on drums, but it was like, you know, you want to see some of the best musicians of all time, just tear shit up at a casino. <laughs> Go see the Grandmothers of Invention. 
I'm pretty sure Roy Estrada's in prison though right now. Okay. Oh boy. Yeah. yeah. Well, Tom Brown was a real Zappa obsessive and an authority on Frank's music. He ended up researching and compiling the Beat the Boots box set for Rhino. Oh, no way. Yeah. Cool. Uh, he wrote two memoirs, Summer of Love My Ass in 2011 and Confessions of a Zappa Fanatic in 2013. Oh, I've not read either of those. I, I'm wondering if he doesn't talk about his times with Zoogs. I mean, he was in the band for 13 years. I'm sure he does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he struggled, unfortunately struggled with type one diabetes his whole life, um, which, you know, Zoogs mentions here in his liner notes, his comprehensive medical insurance. I actually don't think that's, you know, a stretch. Uh, and he ended up passing away in 2020, age 73. Uh, so here again is from the liner notes, Ryan. Side B was recorded and mixed in August, 1988 by Mark Myler at Trigon mm-hmm. Records Studio in Canoga, Canoga Park. That's where they pretty much recorded I think probably every Zoogs album we've seen. Maybe Tri- not all of them. Trigon, yeah. Probably not the reissues, actually, like amputees and stuff, but maybe. Uh, so on one of these typed up itineraries Zoogs was always making for the musicians, he has set up Friday, August 12th at 7.30 p.m. with recording starting the next day at noon sharp. He has every instrument instrument for every song, like totally planned out. Uh, like down to, he even lists finger symbol as one of the instruments. (laughs) (laughs) Like he definitely had this all, you know, planned out in his head. Yeah. Doesn't zoo like Zoogs plays the finger symbol on side B, right? He's credit. He's credited with finger symbol. Yep. Yeah. That's right. No one else played it. Just Zoogs. That's right. Okay, so here, here's again from his book, Clams in a Glass. And this, what you're about to hear right now, the first line of this is you're, you're really starting to hear a lot of this at this point in his book. As the year went on, I began having business problems with SST Records. Mm. They had some major financial setbacks due to a few of their major distributors going out of business. Yeah. And had to rethink their survival game plan. And Jim Ruland really goes into good detail on, mm-hmm. on, you know, why, you know, uh, which distributors caused them, were causing them grief and why it, you know, it really had to, as Zook says, had to have them rethink their survival game plan. Their decisions to rechannel money that was supposed to go to me left me in a very bad financial straits. Earlier in the year, unable to meet our overwhelming debts, Laura and I had declared personal bankruptcy. Now, with SST unable to honor our agreements, Laura and I were in financial deep water once again, with no bailout. By the fall season, money was worse than tight. It was practically non-existent. Still, I managed to get side two of Cretans completed and handed the album in to SST for intended release at the end of the year. One by one, my relationships with the people around me got very weird and strained. My devotion to objectivism left me in an uncomfortable position, being surrounded by partiers, druggies, lazy thinkers, and socialists. With my tons of weight back and feeling more and more alienated from the world around me, I began to plan even more necessary changes that needed to be made. In September, I announced that I was taking a six-month sabbatical from the band to fully concentrate on my own self-development and weight loss program. So that pretty much takes us up to 
torment. Sugs definitely sounds tormented. Yeah. Poor guy. Well, he mentions objectivism here. He was clearly, you know, totally enamored with the writing and philosophy of Ayn Rand around this time. Mm-hmm. He mentions her, her constantly in his book and in press releases from this era. Even on the back cover of this yeah. record. Yeah. Yep. Uh, which definitely tracks with his general thinking, I I would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like he had a well-documented libertarian or conservative, you know, leaning. I think, I think that's fair to say. Like you say, the the liner notes to the album have a typical Zoog's rant about his hatred for intellectual laziness. He, He talks about his belief in the rights and liberties of the individual. He says, I withdraw all support of the Dada movement, calling them, uh, party going conformists who were too lazy to think. He says the Dadaists were pompous collectivist and other directed idiots, just like most of you. What a waste of potential. You know, like I'm sure I've said this on the show, probably every Zoog's Rift episode, but I would have loved to have Zoog's on the show, but I have a feeling that by now we probably would have stepped in it somehow. And you and him. I, Oh yeah. Something yeah. we, something we would have said for sure. We probably compared him to Frank Zappa or Captain Beefheart or something. <laughs> he Forget probably that. would have disowned our show by this point. Yeah. It's tough to tell on the back of the jacket, though, when you read. He's got a point-counterpoint on the Dadaists. Yeah. I mean, I think he's he's obviously being serious in that he's critical of the Dadaist movement. But some of it is still tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Yeah, you, know? you never know with Sugs. Yeah. Uh, This came out in late 1988 or early 89, not sure which, on LP and cassette. It eventually also came out on CD in 1995, which by this point he had ended things acrimoniously with SST. So I'm, I'm sure that chapped his ass. (laughs) (laughs) At the same time though, do you think they sold a lot of copies of this on compact disc? No, it's weird that they put it out on CD in 95. Like, who was clamoring for this in 1995? Six years later. Yeah. Right? No one was. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Let's let's be real about that. No one was after this. SST did a lot of weird things, man. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, too. I mean, I know that discs, like, they cost, they ended up costing more than vinyl, but I think they cost less to produce than vinyl, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Do you have any Spaceman for us this week? None. Aha, yes you do. Look in the 1999 Harvest, Ryan. What's the 1999 Harvest? Look in the back page of your catalog. I looked at it today. What? Yep. How do you know what catalog I have? Because I have the same one. Yeah, you're right. We do have some Spaceman. Holy smokes. I missed it. And this is what it says about murdering hell's happy cretins. Live in Holland and dead in Los Angeles. Herein are two kinds of flow from the liquid Moamo. The demented carnival comes to town as Zug's rift continues his pursuit of musically amazing confrontational strategies, including alienation, sleazeball, and six more live, plus five new creations. LP, cassette, and CD. It's listed here. Hmm. Interesting that they're listing it as CD right now. Does that mean, though, that I missed a Spaceman spiel for We Shoot for the Moon? Yes, it does. Oh, my gosh. I totally missed the the bat. And for Hallraker. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm really dropping the ball here. Don't worry. I'll go back and I'll drop those in 
<laughs> I'll drop those in in the episodes. Well, now that Jim Rulin's book is out, we have to redo it. We have to start all over <laughs> <laughs> from scratch and like correct all our mistakes. And I know there's so many tasty get the nu- tidbits in there. So many nugs in yeah. the book that we missed. Oh well. Well, gonna, hey, I got do? I got this 1995 date off Discogs with the CD. So who knows, man? Yeah, that doesn't mean shit. Yeah. Well, maybe it's some sort of conspiracy theorist or shit disturber on Discogs who Could goes be. and cha- he goes and changes the dates for CD releases on Zoog's Rift albums. Just to mess with nerds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's going, ha ha, I got Brant on You Don't Know Mojack. Perfect. All right. Should we, uh, should we go over to Holland? <laughs> yeah. History lesson part two. Okay, so side one of the live side starts with Story of a Soldier. This was written by Ennio Marconi uh, for the movie The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Apparently, Zoogs was a big fan. Hey, Blondie. Blondie. (laughs) Blondie, there's angel eyes. Tell me the name in the grave, Blondie. Bill Carson. Play your Spanish guitar. (laughs) Right? That's a pretty random Xander Schloss, Joe Strummer reference. Are you making a connection between the good and bad and the ugly and Walker? Yes. Oh my gosh. That's pretty random. (laughs) All right. Well, we're doing accents, so. Yeah, I guess, eh? Okay. Good one, one, Blondie. (laughs) In the movie, the song is played by a band of Confederate POWs uh, while the character Tuco is being tortured. That version has lyrics. This does not. It's primarily Toby Holmes on trombone with uh, Richie, I assume, keeping time on possibly a a triangle. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Rocky joins in on accordion towards the end of the track. That's like an annual movie watch for me. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah, yeah. Once a year. I'm more of a, what's it called? Six Meals for Sister Sarah? Really? No, I don't know. With Shirley MacLaine? No way. Are you kidding me? No. I yeah, know I'm kidding you. Yeah. Okay. Jeez Louise, man. Okay. Uh, I guess maybe like the musicians walked on during this song, maybe like kind of like the Ramones. Oh, no way. I'm guessing. That, I don't know. That'd be cool. Yeah. They're just going. <laughs> <laughs> this one's a little more subdued than the good and bad, the ugly theme. That the well, Ramones use. it's. Or the Triumph of the Ecstasy or whatever it's called. For uh, the Ramones. And Metallica. Okay. Do they play the same song as the Ramones? I'm sure it's the same one. (sighs) Copycats. Yeah. Okay, track two, Alienation, written by John Truby. This is the lead track off John Truby and the Ugly Janitors of America's album, uh, which came out about a year after this called Strange Hippie Sex Carnival on Musical Tragedies. That version is really rocking. I believe Willie told us they were jamming this because uh, it, it, I don't think it was out yet. And it was him who had the idea to kind of turn it into more of a reggae song. Mm. In fact, Ryan, here's a datagram that gives a little hint. At Alienation? Yeah. So it says, let's it's, see. It's totally reggae tinged, as they would say. It says, no record company has yet been willing to release John Truby's new self-financed album, Strange Hippie Sex Carnival, because <laughs> A. <laughs> no, couldn't possibly because of the name of the album. Yeah. A, in spite of its high abundance of quality, well-written, well-performed pop songs, they feel that they won't be able to make enough money from it. 
B, the only they only like Truby when he is playing the clown, and this record isn't funny enough. C, the only thing Truby is good for is the prank phone calls, and for some reason there are none on this record. D, he's not one of their partying drunken friends. So I'm friends with John Truby on Facebook, and he always talks a lot about how he doesn't have, uh, you know, the time or energy because of his day job to work on his music. Uh, which is, he always says that's what he really wants to do. So I'm happy to report he retired on March 30th and has been talking a lot recently about playing guitar, writing songs, wanting to play shows, record new music. Cool. So hopefully he does. Yeah. Zip over to his band camp uh, and check this album out and some of his other killer records that are up on there. Um, you can still buy physical copies of some of them direct from him as well. This one is a really cool version. The, the Zoogs version, great playing from everyone in the band, great vocal from Zoogs. The old Liquid Moamo could really carry a tune when he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, track three is Mongoloid Middle America, written by Zoogs. There's some footage of them um, in Hamburg on May 8th, 1988, playing this song. So from this tour uh, up on YouTube. Uh, the studio version of this is on 1987's Water. Mm-hmm. This version is much shorter at four minutes. That one's over seven minutes and is part of a suite of songs that make up side two of that album, uh, which all fall under kind of the banner Mongoloid Middle America. If I'm remembering right, the lyrics are, some of them anyways, are inspired by the ill-fated Shitheads Across America tour in 1986. <laughs> yeah, it is about the perils of touring for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, obviously not all of it, you know, where he's talking about daddy's dick in his eye or up his crack or whatever, I hope is not something that he experienced on tour. Okay. Uh, then we go into heart attack, a kind of Zoog standard, I would say. It starts with, uh, someone going, it's the Island of living puke, everybody. And then Rocky goes into box famous Toccata and Fugue in D minor. Phantom of the Opera is yeah. what everyone knows that as. Yep. And then the crowd goes wild. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then they blast into Heart Attack. Uh, I think he played this song, you know, fairly often. Uh, the original is on Amputees in Limbo, and we also heard it on the greatest hit hits uh, comp, Looser Than Clams. Mm-hmm. I, it kind of feels dumb saying this, but I feel like this might be the definitive version of Heart Attack. Maybe. I don't know. I never seem to tire of hearing Zoog scream, Jacob Marley took a dull axe and bludgeoned Tiny Tim and all his little friends (laughs) visiting from Scarsdale. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, The next one is with the necessary changes having been made, written by Zoog's. Studio version is on 1985's Interim Resurgence and Mm -hmm. also Looser Than Clams. Uh, uh, interim resurgence was reissued by SST in 1987. These live versions really highlight how complicated some of these songs were. Uh, and this is one of them for me. Like there's lots going on in, on this song, which is easy to lose sight of if you're too focused on Zoog screaming about how he's not looser, looser than clams. <laughs> <laughs> It is true, though. The the absurdity, the zaniness can distract from the musicianship. Yeah. Like, I was just digging the fretless bass on this record. Oh, yeah, man. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's it's really killer. Yeah. Uh, track six, Look at the Fool, uh, Tim Buckley cover. Zoogs did a stu- studio version of it on Non-Entity. I'm not going to go into Tim Buckley or the original version of his song. We cover that in episode 184. It's a cool version. Uh, Rocky's accordion adds a really nice mellow vibe to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Willie kind of sliding all around with that fretless bass. Zoogs just crooning. It's he he really gives it kind of a blues treatment. Yeah, almost. Mm-hmm. Track seven is Sleaze Ball, written by Zoogs. Uh, the lead track on 1987's Water Two, At a Safe Distance, starts with Zoogs's T-bar guitar. Uh, T-bar guitar. The band really cooks on this one. They're just tearing shit up. And then they stop on a dime and go straight into another Truby song. Uh, this was our ballot result pick for Non-Entity. Uh, it's also on the Strange Hippie Sex Carnival album. Z- <laughs> Zooks peels off a totally righteous solo at the end of this. He's yeah. really just shredding. Is that a phaser, though, that he's got going with the shredding? It's either a fa- phaser or maybe a flanger and a wah. And the 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 shredding with the phaser and the accordion and the trombone, it works. Yeah. Yeah, and then they do a big train wreck ending, and he introduces the band. Uh, the crowd goes wild. For me, it kind of left me wanting more. Like, it seemed short to me, the live side. Yeah, well, it's only one side of the record, I guess. Very, you know, hate to say it, Zappa-esque, though, to call out the band members that way. Yeah. That's pretty Zappa-esque. Yeah. Side two, Dead in Los Angeles, all uh, of these songs are written by Zooks, by the way. Uh, side two, track one, Puke Island Paradise. So in a write-up Zooks did for the album Sanitized for Your Protection, uh, he Zooks talks about how he and John Butler Kerr were talking back and forth about doing something, but Zooks wanted to test him. So he told him to record a cover version of this song, and he says, a very tricky round, one mistake and you're dead. <laughs> And then he says that they killed it. They improved on the original. Hmm. Which I feel like Zoogs would, you know. He would be loath to admit. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, it's a round. Uh, it's great, though. You got a totally different vibe on the side with Tom behind the kit and Richie moving over to xylophone and vibes and stuff. Yeah. Like, it's, uh, it's great. Tom can really play too he can hold some zoogs tracks together yeah so this one starts out with an advertisement from sergeant rich kunkel uh, as the liner state who proudly represents the usmfc the united states mofo control who's doing more than his part to keep the slimy little bastards in line Uh, the zoogs's typed up session plans say this is a mono cassette transfer this trap this opening spiel so i think likely pre-recorded the tape and then added during the mix i have no idea who uh, sergeant rich kunkel is maybe uh, it's only a guess but maybe richie haas mm-hmm. for me willie's fretless stands out right up out front in the mix yeah uh I don't really understand how this works as a round. Knowing that, I was listening to it, you know, trying to hear them hear them do that. You can kind of hear it. Uh, it's definitely complex. Kind of like a propuls- propulsive kick drum uh, 
with bass vibes, that trademark Zoog's T-bar guitar sound, where it sounds like he's kind of just riding the whammy bar. Mm-hmm. Like he's riding it like Bobby Previtt rides a fader. <laughs> it's good. Okay, track two, Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans. This kind of makes me think of something more rocking, like the stuff on Amputees in Limbo, where he kind of was trying to be less complex and more rocking. It's still a pretty epic tune, though. Oh, yeah. Take that fucked up bow out of your hair and wipe that stupid, wipe off that stupid makeup. Why these guys didn't have a top 10 hit? I don't know. (laughs) This song rules pretty hard. The ending part after the trademark Zoog's rant, where he goes down to the toms and Willie's laying down a groove and Richie and Zoog's are doubling each other on vibes and guitar. It's pretty epic. This was a standout for me, this one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And (laughs) no, Zoog's album would be complete without (laughs) something with with the word sequence on the end of it. This is tender romance sequence. Uh, Dottie Resch and Greg Lloyd deliver a, this is from the liner notes, deliver a sparkling performance of one of my best sex fantasies right up there with the cream donuts and Gilligan's Island. <laughs> Get it on baby. Time's a wasting. So we've seen Dottie or daddy before. Uh, not sure about Greg. Dottie was on, I think on the track beak on the water album. Uh, if you remember, Beak was a six-act play Zoogs wrote and I guess directed. I believe it was performed at Bebop and Dottie and Greg were both in it along with Jesse Greenfield, Richie Haas, and Alan Eugster who played violin on Swa's Your Future If You Have One and introduced Zoogs to Chuck Dukowski. The typed-up session plans say the two vocal parts and the guitar backing tracks were all cassette transfers, so I think this was all assembled in the studio from pre-recorded tracks. Mm. The entire dialogue, by the way, was all typed up by Zoogs, all of it, word for word, along with some directions such as, there is much cornball breathing and grunting all through this sketch. Exaggerate as much as possible to a point beyond ridiculousness. Uh, like, you kind of need to hear this, I suppose, this track, but he's trying, the 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 dude is trying to get off by having her say things like, it's the island of living puke, you asshole, and schmosifolia apricots. <laughs> and then he starts th- singing the theme to the Beverly Hillbillies, and as, as it states in Zoog's typed-up notes, the girl is finally getting into it. A- and... As he goes on, she gets, quote, orgasmic and orgasmic and frenzied. Black gold, Texas tea, existential light years of metaphysical neo, neo-groovical chromium slit negatives. <laughs> and then it goes straight into track four. One of us starts out with a sample, speaking of the Ramones, from the 1932 film Freaks. The gobble gobble, we accept her one of us part that the Ramones changed to gobba gobba hey, gobba gobba hey, yeah, and used in the song Pinhead. Uh, it goes kind of into a cool noisy dirge, and then Rich comes in playing vibes over top of it. A, a lot of this has the this album has the lead instruments kind of panned hard right and hard left. Uh, you know, Richie hard left and Toby Holmes hard right. So this part, this dirge kind of goes on for three and a half minutes 
everyone kind of improvising. And then it drops down and Zooks goes into this bluesy, almost Sabbath-type riff. Willie takes a bit of a bass solo in this part that's pretty gnarly. Uh, speaking of Willie, did I tell you that he sent me some demos of he and Scott Colby's early 80s bands Pressure and Little Triggers? No. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, It's pretty poppy, uh, almost reggae-tinged, some of it, like The Police or something like that. Hmm. Uh, Willie's rocking a fretless on some of that too. Scott's playing is, of course, amazing. Some of it has a bit of like a new romantics feel almost. Uh, anyways, this is a cool jam. Uh, I like the way the two parts, the kind of dirgy discordant part and the blues groove mash up together. It's the longest track on the album, almost eight minutes long. And then we go into A equals A, a kind of cool rocker to end the record yeah i wrote down it's the zoogsiest song on the record for me okay thought it was good i think this song is kind of about some of that personal freedom philosophy that, mm-hmm. that are in the liner notes you know what's it going to take to get you to awaken you bought yourself security by selling your rights away it's you know, it's almost straightforward, this song by Zoog's Riff Standards, in a way, though. For yeah, me. It's, it's a standout for me, along with Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans. Yeah. I'm going to read you some stuff from the press kit, Ryan. So here's the main page. This is all stuff I got from John. Zoog's Rift is a man with a mission. For over 20 years, he has made substantial contributions to the worlds of art, literature, film, theater, and most especially music. His attitude has been one of frustration but hope and has been entertainingly expressed through his outrageous sense of humor and unique flair for cynicism and satire. He is also an, an, an intense thinker and philosopher and has responsibly crusaded for sanity in an, in an insane world. His music gets better with each album and his message becomes clearer. Rift's undeniable genius is misunderstood by some, misinterpreted and mocked by many. Yet he's always in the center of controversy. He acts as spokesman for those of us antagonized by the coldness and stupidity of the people around us. With Zug's rift around, the world is in competent hands. When you, <laughs> Zug's wrote this for sure, hey? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans is Zug's rift's tenth record, the first to display the live performance talents of Rift and his band, his amazing shitheads. Side 1 is all live, recorded last year in Holland during his 1988 European tour, and Side 2 is comprised of more recent studio recordings of brand new material. Those of you at radio stations will be pleased to know that some of these songs are even safe for airplay, and we especially suggest A equals A, Puke Island Paradise, and Alienation. This record is the perfect sample Zoo's Rift album. It gives the best, most comprehensive overview of Rift's output to date, a serious contender for record of the year. Specifically for this press kit, Zoogs was asked a few questions about how he feels about this new LP, as well as what, he, as, well as, what plans he has in store for us in 1989. So here's what he, they ask, uh, what's next? Well, I just recorded the next album. It's already done. I talked with Greg Ginn, and it should be out sometime in the summer. It's called United We Fall, and though it's a full-length record, it only has three songs on it. Scumbag Rebozo, Scumbag Mofungo, and Scumbag Au Natural. 
Now that is a bonus cassette. I believe cassette only bonus that came with torment. So mm. those plans didn't, didn't work out. He says they're all instrumental improvisations that we recorded back in December, but they represent a segment of what we do live that most people never get to hear. So I felt it was important to add this to my available releases. Beyond that, there's the big project of the next year, my next real record, Torment. I may be recording that at Arthur Barrow's new studio, and that's slated to come out around late September to co coincide with our upcoming USA tour in the fall. I'll also be doing some work with my Mark Myler and the Trigon Empire. Talks a lot about his influences, the Beatles, the Fugs, Bonzo Dog Band, Spike Jones, John McLaughlin, Sunrock, King Crimson... Alvis uh, Costello, Devo, James Chance and the Contortions, Salvador Dali, Ayn Rand, John Walt, John Waters, H.G. Lewis, Captain Lou Albano. Nice. Yep. He says, I'm probably more influenced by Captain Lou Albano and Fred Blassie than I am by Zapper or Beefheart. Hmm. And the guy goes, I never looked at it, at it that way. But you're right. Actually, you even look like Lou Albano. More than Frank Zappa. I yeah. would agree with that, except without the elastic bands. Right. <laughs> uh, here's a review of this album from The Reader, LA Reader, February 17th, 1989, by Richard Foss. The angriest man in music is up to his spectacular tricks again. Zoog's riff is as iconoclastic as ever on his 10th album, which is the first to feature live recordings of his band, The Amazing Shitheads. Zoogs shouts, growls, screams, and occasionally sings on material that ranges from the frenetically offensive Mongoloid Middle America to the warmly emotional when my ship rolls in. The shitheads back him with amazingly complex, powerful precision. Side 2's studio work continues the oral assault with the title track, which is musically, lyrically, and philosophically uncompromising. Zug's return to form is even more bracing after his last album's lighter tone. It's not easy listening, but he wouldn't have it any other way. Very true. You can you can say, you know, Zug's stuff is not that accessible. You have to come to it with a really open mind. You know, you can say whatever you want about Zug's stuff, but you you have to admit like he did not compromise. No way. One iota on anything. Nope. Uh, here's just for the record. This is just a list. <laughs> His favorite. This is Zoog's favorite stuff, I guess. Favorite color: black. Favorite magazine: TV Guide. <laughs> favorite people: idiots and assholes. That's all there are. Favorite candy: marshmallow peeps. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Favorite albums in no particular order: by the Contortions. Fear the Record, The Beatles' White Album, uh, Kensham by the Bonzo Dog Band, Trout Mass Replica, of course, Uncle Meat. Does that surprise you, Ryan? Uncle Meat would be the one he lists from Zappa? I don't know. That's not a favorite of m most people. Just like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I want to give Zoogs all the credit in the world, but a lot of people say they like Trout Mask Replica. Yeah. When they really don't, because it's just like the cool one to like. Yeah. Maybe that's the Uncle Meat thing. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Uh, something tells me Zoogs would not bullshit. 
No, probably no. not. He probably would have liked how Uncle Meat was so challenging. Yep. Uh, Get Happy, Elvis Costello and the Attractions. I'm pretty sure he covered something off that. Didn't we hear an Elvis Costello cover by Zoogs? Uh, yeah, I think so. Golden Filth by the Fugs. Uh, Sparks, Propaganda. Oh, no way. Nina Hagen, Fearless. Easy Action, Alice Cooper, one of his early mm-hmm. uh, kind of more experimental ones. Let's see here. Favorite books, all Ayn Rand, Salvador Dali, uh, The Stand by Stephen King. Height, five foot eight, weight, none of your damn business. <laughs> Philosophy, Objectionism, Mutus, <laughs> Mutatus, Mutandus, Dada, Egoism. Favorite movies, Cool Hand Luke, The Good, Bad, The Ugly, Dawn of the Dead, The Treasure of the, of the Sierra Madre, Mutiny on the Bounty, Marlon Brando version only. Favorite personal IQ, 167.374. Favorite TV shows, all WWF wrestling programs, the Rockford Files, the Abbott and Costello show. Favorite living actor, John Voight. Favorite cartoon, Life in Hell. Do you know what that is? Uh, That is Simpsons, right? Yep. Uh, Matt Groening. Al Groening. Or what is it? Matt Matt. Groening. Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Favorite Zoog's Riff song, Sleazeball, Heart Attack, Secret Marines, the sequel, Island of Living Puke. No Secret Marines on this record, Ryan. How no. disappointing is that? Pretty disappointing. Well, there is Sergeant Rich Kunkel. Yeah. He might be a Marine. Biggest complaint that stupidity, greed, and inconsiderateness rule the world. Zoo, and this is what he has high contempt for. The Cosby Show, Neglected Talent, The LA Weekly. <laughs> Gave him a bad review for sure. Yeah. Politics. Tracy Ullman. How badly the human race has fucked up planet Earth. Uh, He has contempt for Don Van Vliet's retirement from rock music. Mm. And everyone else's continuance in rock music. (laughs) 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 He says here in the press kit. Oh. Uh, here's another review from Paul Grant. On Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans, non-sequiturs are transformed into words of wisdom. Dadaism is a requiem for the masses. So nonsensical it makes sense. So pretentious it defies pretentiousness and becomes its own genre. Rift moves further away from Beefheart, Zappa, Clutch, but is still planted in their patch. Here in the press kit, Zug says, Cretans is my personal favorite because it gives the best overview regarding what we're all about. It shows the live show with all the rough edges, and then it has some of my best studio stuff besides. In terms of art, it's my most satisfying and rewarding album. Uh, Here's one that mentions the cover art, Ryan. Despite the name and the Black Sabbath Greatest Hits cover, this isn't the latest Spinal Tap hardcore thrashed holocaust. The, The cover is pretty far out. Uh, It's hundreds of years old. Uh, Mm -hmm. Laura told me they were able to use it because it's in the public domain. The painting is titled The Triumph of the Death, painted by Peter Brueckel the Elder, Mm -hmm. an innovative Flemish Renaissance painter known for his sweeping landscapes and peasant scenes. Uh, Clearly influenced by Hieronymus Bosch, uh, he would apparently often put on peasants' clothes to attend social gatherings and weddings to mingle with locals and gain inspiration for his paintings. He passed away in Brussels in 1569. 
This was painted in 1562 and has been hung in the Museo del Prado in Madrid since 1827. Yeah. It's quite the painting. It's a panorama of an army of skeletons wreaking havoc across a blackened, desolate landscape. You can see fires burning in the distance, shipwrecks. Uh, the skeletons are kind of storming the village. It's just total carnage. Yeah. Some of it is a bit cut off on the one side. They weren't able to get it all on the album cover. Maybe it's all on the cassette, though. It I is. didn't. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, I didn't check. Yeah. A lot of the promo material, this isn't on the on the LP, but has a photo of his son, Aaron, who was a toddler at this point, wearing this kind of gruesome mask of a disfigured bloody face holding up a Mickey Mouse stuffy. You'll be seeing that on our Instagram. It was on a lot of the posters and, and stuff. Photos uh, are, it says, are by the guys in the band, all the photos on the back. And it says, psychedelic back cover photo of Zoog's Rift by Steve Greeno. Probably my favorite actual photo in Jim Ruland's book is the one of Zoog's and Greg Ginn standing just, outside of SST. Just hanging out in the street and yucking it up. Happier times. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. Says here on the thank you list, uh, some of the names that I picked out, Laura, Chuck, Bob Barons, who was like the, pretty sure the promoter of the, or booked the, the European tour and tour managed, uh, Rich Ford, SST, Big Stick, Teo, Fred Frith, the ladies who put out for Rocky and the Zoogs Rift European diehards who had all the records. How about some dead wax, Ryan? We have some dead wax. Yeah. But but you already knew that, didn't you? I did. All right. I knew it was there. I haven't read it. Okay. You're going to get a live reading, okay? Here we go. Side one says, almost dead. And then side two says, read the ominous parallels by Leonard Pikoff. So he was a Canadian-American objectionist philosopher and a close friend of Ayn Rand. Uh, his first book in 1982, this one, uh, Ominous Parallels, compares the culture of the U.S. with the culture of Germany leading up to the Nazis. Again, like in the liner notes, it says, Break from the group and take pride in your individuality. I aim you in the direction of the books and writings of Ayn Rand. Most importantly, stop killing America. It is our only hope for survival. Mine is the insert, too, with all of the lyrics. Yeah. All of the lyrics painstakingly written out with credits as well, too. Yeah. Ballot result? Yeah, man. Ballot result. I love the live side, but my two faves, I think I gave it away already, would be A equals A or Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans on the B side. Those would be my two faves. Yeah, I picked those two and Alienation and Sleazeball. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the title track. Yeah, good one. Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans. It is epic. Yeah. There's some epic xylophone on that track too. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, thanks to John Butler Kerr for sending me this press kit. Love getting these things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Try finding one of those just... Yeah lying around at the library yeah forget it that's what we need we need a book <laughs> just of the press kits from sst yeah that would be cool yeah they probably have some sort of 
copyright restrictions. Then we'd for sure have to redo the whole thing. Yeah. The whole podcast from from the start. Well, we're more than half done now, right? Oh, yeah. We're more than half. We have like 170 episodes to go. Something like that. So, yeah, no. Too late now? No do-over. Okay. Oh, no. Whew. Ryan, what's next week? Oh, dude, next week we're going back to one of our faves. Uh, we've covered these tracks before, but I don't care because I love getting into SST 212, the Descendants Fat EP. And we've got a special guest. Yep. You know what? I'm not going to say who, uh, but it's a great interview and everyone should come and check it out. Oh, okay. Teaser. Yeah. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.